Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, so this is our Christmas series this year, The Good News. We're going to talk about the good news. Because I think in our culture, our current culture, we take it for granted a little bit. We see it more as old news than good news. It is the good news that Jesus came as a baby. I mean, this is what Christmas reminds us of every year, right? That he came in human form. God gave up his godhood to come as a baby and be with us. Come into our mess. It's just an absolutely amazing, life-changing thing. And sometimes we take it for granted. It's old news. It's, we've heard it a thousand times. It's not brand new to us anymore. It's not earth-shattering anymore. We see the baby in a manger and we keep on walking, right? We forget just how amazing and wonderful and good this news is. That he would lower himself to a human position and come as a baby in a feeding trough. Like, it's amazing. So throughout this series, we're going to talk about how good that news is. We're going to look at the stories surrounding his birth. And we're going to straight up brainstorm ways that we can spread the good news in our own lives, in our friend circles, in our families, in our communities. And so today, we're going to look at the wise men. Now, I have been fascinated with the wise men ever since I read a fictional book by Ted Decker uh, called AD 30, set in the year AD 30, which is linked in the sermon notes, by the way. If you want to like almost feel and hear the sounds of the the world at at that time, and it's like The Chosen. Have you all seen The Chosen? How you could just sort of feel the culture and what Jesus was dealing with. This book does that, what the chosen does, but in book form. It's so good. And I really, I really was interested in this people, the people that came to find Jesus, that traveled. It tells of a fierce people who studied the stars and were looking for the Messiah. The crazy part about these people to me isn't that they were looking for him. And to some degree, the Jews were looking as well. Right? They, they had all the prophecies. They were looking. But the crazy part to me is that they actually found him. They found him before GPS, y'all. Like, I can't always find Walmart without GPS. They found him. See, I've always been so frustrated, too, by the Pharisees and the, the Jews of this time. When I'm reading through the New Testament, like, you had all the information about the Messiah, especially the Pharisees, teachers of religious law, they had memorized all of the prophecies. And there were like 400. They had them memorized. They knew, supposedly, who they were looking for. And yet, when the Messiah, the Son of the living God, is actually doing miracles in front of them, they miss him. It's frustrating. You've been waiting for him your whole life, studying the prophecies, making sense of the scriptures, of the prophets. You should be the ones who do understand. You should have been the ones seeing him in the manger. And yet you couldn't even see him right in front of you. They were too busy looking for power and fame for themselves, holding on to the power that they had built, caught up in a system of religion that wanted to keep them as slaves, I guess, as we so often are. 
but not these wise men. These wise men from a distant land, they were not Jewish, not only did they find him, but they came to submit to him in worship. They came to bless him, not to be blessed by him. And they obeyed God over the king, King Herod. They treated the gospel with the honor and the respect and the majesty that it deserves when no one else was. That's fascinating to me. We're going to dig into this a little bit today. Before we do, let me just define the word gospel. Anyone know what the word gospel means? I heard it. Good news. Good job. The good news of Jesus Christ, that he came down as a human, lived a perfect, sinless life on this earth, died a criminal's death on the cross as a sacrifice for us once and for all, and then was raised to life, right? That is the good news of Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that he came at all on Christmas, that he brought life and hope back to the world. We celebrate that because of what it means for you and I. See, the rest of the gospel, when we say the gospel or the good news, it's not just the fact that he came, but it's also what it means to us, what it means to me. The fact that I get to live forgiven by God the Father, that I get to live in right relationship with my creator, changes everything. We get to be forgiven and walk in forgiveness and give that forgiveness to other people. We get to see everything differently. That is the gospel message. And throughout this series, I hope to put a little bit of pressure on you, challenge you a bit, make you squirm in your seats just a little bit. I hope that you get an answer. For, so if, if I come up to you during the series and I say, what is the gospel? Do you have an answer? What is the good news? Can you explain it to me like I just did in a couple of sentences and what it means to you? Do you have a testimony? Do you have it written down? Do you know it by heart? Could you have an answer for your faith if somebody asked? Anybody squirming? I feel like taking the mic out there. I won't today, but I might next week, so you better get ready. Let's read this account from Matthew 2. And we're going to dig into this a little bit. Look, I've been praying for boldness all year. Those of you who've been around all year, have we not been praying for boldness and sharing the gospel? That's what we're ending on this year. And I, I just love how God works it all out. All right, Matthew 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. We saw his star as it rose. We've come to worship him. I think we've heard this story so many times, we forget how crazy that sounds. Again, no GPS, y'all. They followed a star. After finding out all that I can about these guys, the wise men, I realized we don't actually know that much about them. We have some traditions sort of surrounding them. We, we tend to think, you know, in our little nativity sets, there's three of them. We think there were three for some reason. Um, I think that's basically only because there were three kinds of gifts. So we just guess. Um, but there, there could have been many, many more. There might have been a lot of them. And they probably didn't come until after Jesus was in the manger anywhere from two weeks to two years later. But there are a few things we do know, and I want to just give you a little bit of background 
into these guys um, before we read the rest of this. First of all, they were probably rulers of some sort, but king was a very loose term back then, right? at least outside of cities like Jerusalem. King Herod was a, a Jewish king put in place by the Roman government, though basically thought to be more of a sellout to the Jews. Um, but he had an army and an empire firmly behind him. Most rulers out in the deserts, they were just guys with big families and su some success in business. Okay, so that's probably what these guys were. Um, more like a, a tribal chief or something, the head of the family, a big family. Um, but they were devout followers of God, even if they weren't Jews, which is pretty amazing to me when you think about it. Uh, many of these, many people believe they were Persian because of their gifts and therefore definitely not Jews. They almost definitely were not Jews. But the word for wise men used in the Bible is magi. And it refers, that word in particular, refers to an ancient group of astronomers and priests belonging to the Zoroastrian. Everybody say Zoroastrian. I don't know if I'm saying it right, so you all may have just said it wrong. But I, Zoroastrian religion in Persia, but they were, they were good guys who, who were looking for God. In this day and age, without the word, right, if they're outside of Judaism, they didn't have the law and the prophets and the temple and Moses. They didn't have all of that. They were just looking at the stars, and they found God through that. That's amazing. They didn't seem to warp it into something selfish or power-hungry, just based on what we know about them from this story. So many religions do, but they didn't need to be told or taught. They just pursued truth. It's amazing when you think about it because, meanwhile, the Jews who were supposed to be looking, who said they were looking, who knew all the prophecies, weren't actually looking. Right? They had a thousand years worth of prophecy about the Messiah. They said they were looking, but they weren't looking in the right place. These guys were looking and in the right place. They assumed, they showed up in town assuming that the Jews would be pursuing him, that they would know all about this already, that they would uh, have been celebrating his birth for a long time. But they ended up having to find Jesus all by themselves, which is kind of sad. They described him as the newborn king of the Jews, after all. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? And there's a lesson here in and of itself that we can learn from these guys, which is that sort of an evangelism lesson, which is where we're going here. Not everyone wants truth enough to inconvenience themselves to find it. You hear excuses a lot about coming to church as a pastor. Right? My, my husband, wife, they didn't want to come to church last week, so we just sort of slept in, you know, blaming it on them. Or, you know, that friend that brought me was out of town last week. Or in particular, I hear people a lot who, who postpone their baptism because people can't be there to watch them. I always say, don't. <laughs> Please don't. It's not about them. It's about you finding Jesus. You can't base your salvation with Jesus on somebody else. It doesn't work that way, right? There's a lot of, of, of excuses that tend to hold us back from finding Jesus. The evangelism truth in that is that not everyone's ready to inconvenience themselves enough to find Jesus, to find truth. Sometimes we have to just offer it but not push it. They have to run a little further before they're ready. 
right? Not everyone is, is ready to be looking yet. We try sometimes telling people about Jesus, and we, we, we pick all the wrong people, <laughs> people who aren't looking. They're not ready. Right? Not that anyone is wrong for God. They just aren't ready to look for him yet. And sometimes you just have to invite people, let them know you're here when they're ready, but not push them too hard yet. When they're ready to look, they know who to come to. Aaron and I have done this so many times. We've you know, grown up here in this community. Both of us have always been Christians and faithful to it. And so we still have people sometimes that from back in high school days will hit us up and say, you're still the only one I know who believes in this stuff. Help me understand it. Right? It's because we were available 20 years ago. We're still available. We didn't push it. We just loved people, just loved them. And still, we're available. Come talk to us. I'd love to talk to you about it. The Bible is my favorite subject. Sometimes people are in the grocery store, they'll ask me a Bible question. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I know you, you're not here to talk. It's my favorite subject. Let's get into it. Right here in the frozen peas. Not really. Don't stop me in the frozen peas. Text me. I'll, I'll get you an answer. <laughs> but these guys, they knew what to do. It's just fascinating to me. You know, the Bible says all creation cries out to God. All creation cries out to God. All creation points to him. Even if you don't have all your theology or information correct, every human on this earth can have an understanding of who the creator is by looking at creation. We don't really get an excuse. It's clear from creation. They were called wise men because they knew this, of how they studied the stars. It was basically a science back then. They were learned, educated, enlightened, right? Beyond the usual person. And since science always proves the existence of God and his plan, what they found led him back to Jesus. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Now, astrologists believe that there is a force out there, unnamed, beyond reach, unfathomable, Right? We can't know it, we can't understand it, but it controls the future. There is some force. Right? We play with these words in literature and, and science like fate and evolution and the universe and mother nature. We're talking about a force that we can't understand. We're sort of all talking about the same thing, aren't we? I just believe that I can understand him, that he wants to be understood and he has a name. Right? That we can call on his name. I believe the universe has a name and a plan, and he wants to be known. And these guys did, too. They looked at the stars, and they saw Jesus. It's amazing. Wise men, they were reaching out to a God that they didn't know. They, these Zoroastrian kings found Jesus when the Jews didn't. Here's the good news from all of that. That person in your life that seems really far away, Right, that you've been praying for. They seem so far away from Jesus. Like, it's never going to happen. I've been praying for them for years. Never going to happen. There's still hope there. It's often the ones that seem furthest away, not the ones who know it all already, that are quickest to come to him. Right? God is real. God is good. And he loves us so much. This should be our message always. God is real. God is good. And he loves you so much. And I'm here to explain all that when you're ready. Right? It's been my uh, sort of evangelism strategy for a while now. Because I believe most people have a problem with one piece of that, and it sort of builds. If you don't believe that God is real, let me help you. 
get there, right? If you believe that God is real, and a lot of people do believe that God is real, but that he's not good, because how could he be if suffering still exists? Let me help you with that piece, right? Or if you believe that God is real and God is good, how could a good God love me? Right? These are common places that our culture has trouble with the gospel, with the good news. God is real. God is good. And he loves you so much. If you take nothing else from this series, take that with you and then learn how to defend each of those statements. God is real. God is good. And he loves you so much. We sometimes get caught up in thinking that we know it all like the Jews of this time. Right? We, get, we get caught in the weeds and we forget the gospel really is simple. It's complex, maybe, but it's simple. Jesus loved you so much that he came. That's the message. Right? These guys, they, they understood a simple message in the complexity of nature. It's amazing when you think about it. The Jews may have thought that it was beneath them to look at the stars because they had so much of God. They had words. They had the laws of God. But there's something about evangelism we have to learn here, too. We sometimes think we know it all. Evangelicals can be so uppity about stuff like this sometimes, right? Our gifts and our Holy Spirit and our beliefs. But learn something about other denominations. They can be way ahead of us in certain areas. They're maybe better at taking care of the poor or better at confession and dealing with sin or better at holiness and, and sticking to it or better at uh, like a reverence for God sometimes, better at taking care of people within the church. Like they, can, they can be way ahead of us in a lot of areas. Living this Christian life is hard. There's a lot to it, and we need the whole church, the body of Christ to really reach the world. It's not an us and them thing, this or that this and that, right? I know also a lot of churches who almost teach like an us and them thing with the world. I think I sometimes fall into this kind of language. Like we rail against the world and our culture and whatever sometimes. It fosters this idea that we are against the world, right? That we have to protect ourselves and live in bunkers and make sure the world doesn't get to us. Is our enemy the world? Do we have an enemy? First of all, Yes, but is it people? No, it's not flesh and blood, right? Our enemy is the accuser of our souls. It's Satan. It's the, the deceiver. Our enemy is spiritual, not physical. We have to stop looking at people like they're the enemy and love them to Jesus because the world is full of people who are deceived, just like you were before you came to Jesus, just like you probably still are in a lot of ways. None of us quite understands God 100%, right? We're human, we, but we should have compassion for the world, not enmity. Let God deal with people who wrong us, accuse us, spread lies about us, try to hurt us. Right? They've bought into a lie. Let our prayer be Jesus' prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he said that prayer as they were abusing him. Instead of hate or protection for ourselves, our message has to be, God is real, God is good, and he loves us so much. Some of us are out here witnessing people on the wrong point. We have to know which point they have a problem with, which means you have to get to know them. Look them in the eyes and have a conversation. 
right? He created all of this for us. The wise men saw God in this. They saw his handiwork in the heavens. But here's the one that's the thing about these wise men that struck me the most. They traveled far to bless the Messiah, not to be blessed by him. These men didn't come after Joseph and Mary after they had done the work of raising the boy and he was a full-grown man able to bless him, bless them, right? They weren't looking for something from the Messiah. They came to be a blessing. They came to make their lives a little easier, Joseph and Mary, to make the work of the ministry a little easier. They came to be a part of God's perfect plan to just help in any way they could. They came bearing gifts came to worship and to give and to serve. And we're going to see just how they blessed them as we read through this story. But not everyone was that willing to bless the Messiah. In fact, there were very few people willing to bless the Messiah. Not then and not now either. This is one of those hang-ups that we have with sharing the good news with people. It's not comfortable for us. It doesn't work for us. We're afraid of how we might look. There's... There may be consequences in sharing the good news, right? So much selfishness in our witnessing. These guys traveled far in a time when it was not easy or safe or quick to travel far. And they took the time and they traveled just to bless him. Little did they know there was no one else doing that. They thought they'd be one of many people visiting and blessing him. Poor Mary and Joseph had very, very little support, if any, actually. They needed what the wise men came to give badly because they were about to be hunted. God often sends help from the most unlikely places, which I love. Verse 3, here we go, finally. 3 says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. I wasn't planning to stop here, but during worship today, I couldn't stop asking myself this question. As was everyone in Jerusalem? Jerusalem was upset by hearing that the Messiah might be here? What? Have they not been waiting for the Messiah for thousands of years? They haven't had a prophet in 400 years. They all said they were waiting for the Messiah. They've been beating people up with the knowledge that the Messiah might not come until they get their act together. They're upset by hearing that the Messiah is here. Why would they be disturbed? I couldn't stop thinking about this question during worship today. Why would they be disturbed? I know why Herod was disturbed. He wasn't a true Israelite. He was put in place by Rome. He was holding on to the power that the Messiah was prophesied to upset. So he was afraid of losing his power. That's pretty. But why was everyone in Jerusalem disturbed? Suddenly it came to me as I was praying through it. They wanted peace for themselves more than they wanted freedom for the world. They wanted peace for themselves more than they wanted peace for the world. Guys, the reason this bugged me so much during worship just now is because that's us. We often want peace for ourselves. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to be made fun of. We don't want to get in trouble at work or at school. We don't want to be pushy and push our beliefs onto everyone else. We don't want to be known as that Jesus freak. Can't stop talking about church and Jesus and whatever. 
We want to be normal, to blend in, to not call too much attention to ourselves. We want peace for us more than we want eternal peace for our world. Jesus, let us repent. We're selfish with our witness. We're selfish with the greatest truth, the goodest news on the planet. How can we hold that to ourselves? But we're just like the Jews of Jerusalem at this time. They were all deeply disturbed by this. King Herod was disturbed enough in verse 4. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. That was a lie, of course. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. They gave him gifts, the best gifts, gifts fit for a king. They knew that news this good requires a sacrifice. News this good was worth giving everything to. None of this pithy little halfway, half-hearted efforts. They gave everything. Their, their instinct when serving the king was to open their treasure chests and give him everything. Is that your instinct? <laughs> I'd like it to be mine. These valuable items, probably hard to part with, but they were standard gifts for a king to honor a king or a deity in the ancient world. Gold was a precious metal, frankincense as a perfume or incense, and myrrh as anointing oil. I actually have a lot more detail on this in the sermon notes because uh, I've studied each of those three in depth. It's really interesting. It's a good thing to study this week maybe, uh, but we're not going to get into that today. I do want to talk about what their gifts represented, though. Right, their gifts were, first of all, useful and generous. Some of the best gifts we can give the Savior are our time, our talents, right? Because they're useful and they're so rare. Americans today have very little time, don't we? That's our first excuse. I just wish I had the time. Time is precious. That's what we should be giving to God. It's what we can use in service of others. It's what I've seen so many of you giving lately, which is just amazing. But instead of hoping that people serve us, we should look for ways to serve others, to be used by God. There are people that show up here, and we've talked about this a lot lately with the surveys and whatnot, but people that show up here week in and week out, 7 a.m. before the sun on Sunday mornings and serve you all day, or show up at 10 a.m. on Saturdays and clean the whole building, or, you know, after working all week at their regular job, 
setting up and cleaning and, and preparing the lights and the graphics and the music and, and the building. People that study Bible passages to teach the kids, if they give up time hearing the word so that they can give the word in the back to our kids. Right, these guys, they, we have people that are taking time out of their own personal schedules and blessing the king, receiving nothing in return. That's what these wise men are doing. Are you that useful and generous to the church? Do the vehicle God now uses to preach Jesus? Right? If the church never gave you anything back, anything, would you still serve it? We talk about this a lot with Jesus, right? If Jesus never gave us another thing, it'd be enough. But if the church never gave you another thing, would you still serve it? God is looking for people who are ready to be useful in the kingdom. Useful and generous. Secondly, their gifts were precious and valuable. In their offering to the Savior, the wise men gave him things that were both rare and valuable. They offered him the best gifts they knew how to give. As we approach the Savior with our offerings of time and service and finances and all of it, we can remember, we have to remember, give him our best. It should be a sacrifice, not the leftovers. I, I think we preach occasionally, you know, uh, the verse that says, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Have you heard that verse before? I think a lot of people stop right there. They use it as an excuse to not give at all. I don't think that's what it means. I think it means to give because you want to bless the king. It means you should be changing your heart to match the gift, not the gift to match your reluctant, selfish heart. <laughs> right? <clears throat> not because you feel guilty about it, but because you want to give. And I think it means to keep in the forefront of your mind always why you give. To see the kingdom spread through the church. See more people come to know Jesus. To bless the organization Jesus invented to save the world. The good news is worth our best. Not our leftovers, not our reluctance. It's worth our best. Aaron said something at home group on Thursday. He said he, if he ever used to, you know, complain about getting up early to go to church on Sunday mornings, his dad would say, Jesus didn't complain about getting nails in his hands. I think you could get up early <laughs> or something to that effect, right? We all had a good laugh about it, but it's true, isn't it? Jesus left his godhood. Come down. He came down into our mess. He went far out of his way to give us life. And we're going to complain? <coughs> we're going to drag our feet? We're going to make it all about me? These wise men didn't do that. They gave precious and valuable gifts. They willingly went far out of their way to do so. It was an honor and a privilege for them to give, to be able to give in this way because the good news is worth it. I don't think we talk about it enough, but evangelism can be costly. Maybe we don't train for it enough. You might lose friends by believing in Jesus. Right, by walking a different path than they do. You might lose friends for talking about church and putting a priority on church and by talking about Jesus at all. You might. Right, you might lose favor by inviting someone to church or talking about the gospel, but it's precious. It's valuable. 
We should treat it as such, not something to be hidden away, something to treat with honor. Right? And the third thing about these gifts the wise men brought was that they were respectful and worshipful. And the gifts the wise men brought were the kind of gifts that would have been brought to a king. They were gifts fit for a king. Jesus is indeed our king and much more. Is he our friend? Absolutely. But I think sometimes we get a little bit too comfortable in that fact as well. We need to also remember that he is king. Right? He is the king. This isn't a partnership. We're not partners in this life. I'm not on his level. I am a servant in the king's household. Right? And as we contemplate what he has done for us and what he offers us, we should be filled with awe, with gratitude, and with reverence. We should always honor and revere him for that atoning sacrifice that he gave so willingly. His grace, his mercy, his love abundant. <clears throat> we have to show our love for him by giving him our best gifts, our best worship, and by treating the gospel with the reverence that it deserves. The good news is that Jesus came to earth as a baby. He lived a selfless, sacrificially loving life as a human, and he was killed for it. He took on our sin and shame on that cross, and he laid down his life so we could have a relationship with our Father in heaven. The story doesn't end there. He was also raised from the dead by his own power. He has dominion over death and the grave, over sin and shame. It's an amazing, earth-shattering truth. Are you treating that news with the respect, with the honor and importance that the wise men treated it with? They went out of their way for Jesus. Let's go out of our way a little bit for him this morning, right? Will you do that with me? We're going to begin by doing a little prayer. We're going to do some goal setting today before we leave from here. We're going to make a plan. The gospel is worth that. The importance of it requires that we don't just treat this by flying by the seat of our pants here. We're going to make a plan. And so I want you to think of somebody in your life today that maybe doesn't believe, that doesn't belong to a church family already, somebody that maybe you can invite to church this December. You know, it's never easier to invite people to church than Christmas and Easter. They're already looking. If they even have an inkling about faith or religion at all, they're like, hmm, I need to find somewhere to go this Christmas and Easter, right? So easy. In fact, I heard from somebody just this morning that said, I invited somebody to church this week, and, and he was like, oh, I was, I was wondering if you'd ask me that. <laughs> she was like a little apprehensive to ask, and he was hoping that she would. We just have to open our mouths and invite people this time of year. It's not always, I'm not saying it's always easy. Not everybody is ready, like I said earlier. But a lot of people are ready and, and looking for a place to go. <clears throat> Most people who come to church for the first time are invited by a friend. Can I ask in this room, did you come to Freedom Valley for the first time alone or because you were invited by a friend? If you were invited by a friend, raise your hand probably half the people in here, right? It's hard coming into a church all by yourself. It's a little scary. You don't know anybody, right? You don't know the culture and what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to stand and 
Are they going to make me stand up and introduce myself? It's scary. But when you come with someone who already knows the culture, who can help you find the free coffee in the cafe and where to drop your kids, right? It's a lot easier coming with somebody. We're going to be shameless inviters this month. We're going to invite everyone we can, right? But before we do that, we're going to start by praying for them. People are much more likely to try something out for the first time when God goes ahead of us, softens their heart, helps them get ready for it, right? That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to think of somebody we can invite this month, not six months from now, not next year, this month, this week, and we're going to begin to pray for them. So I want you to find a card, maybe on a seat around you, or maybe you brought a piece of paper. We're just going to write these names down. It doesn't have to be elaborate, just a first name, somebody that you're praying with. If you don't have anybody, you know, there's a lot of us that are in church a lot that don't know unbelievers. <laughs> Speaking for myself, right? I, it's all I see are believers all day, every day. I'm helping people into believing maybe, but I don't know a lot of unbelievers. And so <clears throat> I almost always have one name, but I, I'm praying for more. I'm praying that God would expand my opportunities to tell people. But go ahead and grab a piece of paper. Write that name on it. We're going to start by praying. Father, we lift up these names to you in Jesus' name. We pray for each and every person. First of all, I pray for each and every person sitting here today that you would open up our hearts. You would give us the boldness, the courage to, to reach out to the people in our lives and to love them as self sacrificially as you did. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. God, let the gospel, that good news message, get down deep into our souls that we would truly be so grateful for what you did for us, that you came to earth, lived a sinless life, but still hung yourself on that cross as a sacrifice for me so that I no longer have to feel the, the shame of my sin. I no longer have to walk around as unforgiven. I just claim your sacrifice and I'm forgiven. I'm free. I can live in a relationship with my creator. It's an amazing thing that you did. And God, I pray right now that you would just dig that truth down in each of our souls, that you would challenge us today. Put names on that list. Put lots of names on that list. Give us um, opportunities to speak to each and every one of them. Prepare their hearts now, God. You would cause them to be looking. That you would prepare their souls to hear the good news. We, we just ask that you would go ahead of us. Soften hearts and minds. Let them have ears to hear. Let us find those people in our lives, even when they're not on our list of people we're praying for. Let us have eyes to see every opportunity when we're out and about, when we're at our workplaces, when we're at school, when we're at the grocery store. God, give us eyes to see the opportunity, to see the people that are struggling, see the people that are looking for a Savior. Help us meet them there. We lift these names to you. In Jesus' name heads bowed and eyes still closed today. 
if you would say, I've never heard the gospel message maybe, or I've, I've never given my life to it like you're describing. But I've been trying to do things myself for a long time and I've been walking around with all this shame and guilt over everything I've done. Today, I just wanna be free. Look, Jesus died for you 2,000 years ago. He knows what you did, right? He already died for you. He loves you so much. He's not an angry guy in the sky wagging his finger at you. He's drawing you to a loving God. He just wants to know you and be known by you. His forgiveness is free. It is a gift, not something you have to earn, just something you have to say yes to. Around here, we call that saying, I'm in. I'm into following Jesus. I'm into his forgiveness and claiming that in my life. I want to follow him and be a disciple of his. If that's you today and you're sitting in this room, I just want to give you an opportunity to say yes to that. Yes, I'm in. I want to follow him. This is maybe the first time I've ever said it or done it, but I want to today. I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you and you're sitting in the room, would you just raise your hand up, slip your hand up right where you're sitting? I want Jesus. Anybody else? Raise that hand up high. Just keep it up for a minute. The usher's going to slip you a little card with some information on it. Anybody else here today? If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen. I'd love to help you with that decision as well. Awesome. Y'all just made the best decision of your life. Praise God. It's your spiritual birthday. Amen. Yeah. It is to be celebrated. It's amazing. Listen, as an example of what we're going to do this month, I'm giving you an invitation to Christmas Eve today on your way out. Now, this is not your invitation. I'm inviting you right now, okay? By hearing my voice, you're invited to Christmas Eve. The invitation I'm giving you has a little candy cane attached to it, and you are supposed to give it to somebody else. Don't you eat that candy cane on the way home. I know. I will know. The Holy Spirit will tell me. Jesus, tattletale. No, I'm kidding. Don't eat that candy cane. It's not for you. You give it to somebody. Give that invitation to somebody in your life. Give it to a neighbor, a friend, a family member, a coworker, somebody that you can say, hey, come to Christmas Eve with me. 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock p.m., December 24th. I'd love to have you join me and sit with me. We're going to light candles. We're going to have Christmas cookies and cocoa. It's my favorite services of the whole year. It's a very easy ask. They're cozy, sweet services. We sing together, right? It's good stuff. On your way out today, I would also love those papers. You know the names already. I would love to pray over them with you this week. If you'd be willing to give me those, the ushers are going to have buckets on the way out. They're going to take your papers and give you invitations on your way out today. And I just want to encourage you, find a way to do this. Share it online, right? Post your testimony. Tell somebody this week your testimony. What does the good news mean to you? What is the gospel mean to you. Look for somebody who's ready to hear it and treat it with that respect, the awe and honor that the wise men treated it with. Amen? Can we do that this week? All right, let me pray over you one more time. Father, 
Thank you so much for the message of Christmas. Thank you that we can use this time in our culture. Culture is so obsessed with Christmas and they don't even know you. God, help us explain the meaning of Christmas, the beauty, the majesty, the amazingness of it all, that you would come to bring light and hope to our lives. We were drowning in sin and shame and you came to set us free. You set each and every one of us free in this place. We thank you. We're so grateful for what you've done for us, Jesus. Now, let us be anointed for ministry. Let us be anointed to share this goodness and light with every single person we come across this week. Send us out, God. Use us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.